What's up? What's happening? Welcome here to Lacrosse Now. Travis Eldridge back with you this week. We have two All-American guests for you on today's show. Tucker Dordovic now at Georgetown, the Syracuse transfer, talking about that decision to go play for the Hoyas, what that transition has been like. And we'll talk with Caitlin Wurzberger from North Carolina. The offense seemingly now in her hands after Jamie Ortega has graduated, so we'll catch up with her as the Tar Heels look to follow up an all-time great national championship season. But we're going to start things on the men's side, and we're going to start things with the Inside Lacrosse Media Poll. It has been released. I am once again a voter here this year. So what I'm going to do is take you through my top 20, how, exactly how I voted in this preseason Inside Lacrosse Media Poll. I'll give you some comparative notes with where teams are ranked in the IL Media Poll and uh, just one quick hitter on all 20 teams that I have in the poll. Something, either a question I have, the reason they're ranked, just some kind of fact uh, in order to, to give you a little context as to why teams are where they are in my media poll. So we'll start right at the top, go 1 through 20. We'll start at number 1, Virginia. I've got the Cavaliers at number 1, despite the fact that they lost in the quarterfinals last year to Maryland. But the, the thing I just keep coming back to with Virginia is A, I think they have maybe the best player in the country in Connor Schellenberger, at least at the attack position. So that's number one. You got a Tourton finals, Tourton contender at, at, at your number one spot. And the talent is all over the field. I mean, this team is absolutely loaded. You add in Ricky Maizan, the former Stanford linebacker who's gonna who's now on campus. The videos coming out with Maizan at practice are ridiculous. He's gigantic. Good luck to the rest of the ACC trying to match up with that. So I've got the Cavaliers with all of that talent on both ends of the field coming back. I've got them number one. Which brings me to number two. I've got the Terps there, the defending national champs. Of course, obviously a great season a year ago at all time great season we know the defense is going to be great the reason I don't have them number one is what is the offense going to look like because they got a lot of pieces to replace there I don't have any questions that John Tillman and company will find ways to answer those questions on offense I just don't know how long it's going to take so I've got them at number two here in the preseason number three speaking of Georgetown we'll have Tucker Dordovic on in a little bit great piece to add into the mix whether he's running out attack midfield whatever the transfers are there. They bring back a bunch of talent as well. Now the question, can you get it done in May? Until that moment, I won't be fully in on Georgetown, but his Hoyas team looks to be loaded again, both ends of the field. At number four, this is where I'm a little different from the media poll. I've got Yale there. They're seventh in the IL media poll. I just really like the young talent last year, and I think... They started to really prove themselves middle to the end of last season of what this team actually could be. And then it's all centered around Matt Brandau, who is a first-team All-American attackman in my book, a Tawartan contender along with Connor Schellenberger and Sam Hanley. So I like all of that around for Yale. At number five, Cordell. Of course, they got to championship weekend a year ago. They may have the best cover guy and attackman in the country, at least that combination with C.J. Kirst and Gavin Adler. Both are going to be All-American consideration type guys. Cornell will be back in the mix. I just like Yale a little bit better. At number six, uh, another ACC team. Let's go to Duke. Another team that is loaded with talent, Brendan O'Neill. Can he take that next step and be the guy. I thought he kind of started to become the guy at Duke last year. Can he really be the guy and be talked about with the Schellenbergers and the Brandals of the world? I think that happens. They've got talent everywhere on this field. Number seven, 
I've got Notre Dame. I got them a little bit lower than they are in the media poll. They got three first-place votes, which especially, I, I know they finished last season really strong. It's just a little head-scratching to me, considering they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Now, you could argue they probably should have made it, but the reality is they did not make it. They were not one of the final 16 teams playing in, this, in the tournament last year. So I wonder if they would have played in the NCAA tournament, say they lose in the quarterfinals. Are they number? Are they getting first-place votes? I, I almost feel like the fact that they got snubbed last year kind of jaded the fact that we didn't see them lose at the end of the season. So now everybody's thinking higher. I think they're very good. I just don't know if they're first place in the country good yet. They may get there at some point. And number eight, Sam Hanley, uh, of course, another Tourton favorite. That's why I've got Penn at number eight. They've proven they can get to May and compete into May. Can they get deeper? Can they get to championship weekend? That'll be the big question for Penn this year. At number nine, a team that did get to championship weekend last year, that's Princeton. Breakout season, but they lost some key pieces. So that's why I've got them down here at number nine. Still really like Alex Lesher at attack. Uh, Sam English, Jake Stevens, both terrific in the midfield. They've got pieces there. They just got to answer some questions in some key spots, including in the goalie position. But I really like Princeton. Number 10. This is a team that I have hired the most, and that's Delaware at 10. I mean, almost their entire starting lineup is back from a team that won the CAA title and beat Georgetown in the NCAAs last year. This team was a couple of goals short of Cornell of making championship weekend, and they bring everybody back. I mean, if that team is in the ACC or the Big Ten or maybe even the Patriot League, they're clearly a top 10 team. That's why I've got problems with Delaware being any lower because this team is loaded. Starting attack is going to be scary. Mike Robinson, Ty Kurtz, J.P. Work. Ward worked terrific together. They've got an All-American defenseman in Owen Grant who may be up there in conversations with one of the best defensemen in the country. Delaware is a team to keep your eye on. They, I have a feeling they could be a top 10 team at times throughout this year. I've got them in my top 10 to start the year. Number 11, I got Ohio State. New stadium, plenty of excitement with this Buckeyes program. Jack Meyer is, is going to be a star. They will compete with Maryland for the Big Ten Championship this year. I, I think Maryland, not, I don't think nearly as dominant as they were last year, maybe even in the last two years. I think the Buckeyes may be one of the best contenders in the Big Ten against the Terps. At 12, another one of those teams that will be in that Big Ten conversation. I've got Rutgers. Another season with Ross Scott being their guy. He has taken gigantic step forward. He is an elite attackman, an All-American uh, consideration. How do how do they follow up though? The program best season is all the pressure off, and now it's cruise control. Or did all of that build them up as they finally made championship weekend? I, uh, we will wait and see. Thirteen, another team that had a breakout season last year. That would be Harvard, first NCAA tournament under head coach Jerry Byrne. I think the first of many, building on that momentum in a extremely competitive Ivy League. How does everything shake out? I don't know if everything comes together like it did last year for the Ivy League, where they were so successful out of conference that their in-conference stuff, when you lost to somebody in the conference, it didn't hurt you as much. How does it shake out in the, in the beginning part of the season, the non-conference slate? I don't know if we get the same number of Ivy League teams in the NCAA tournament, and it's going to be an extremely competitive Ivy League. So that will be something to watch throughout the year. Number 14, I've got the Denver Pioneers. The final run under head coach Bill Tierney. They've got question marks in a lot of places. Look for J.J. Silstrop to take a big step forward on the offensive end. 
Bill Tierney, his farewell to college lacrosse is going to be a very interesting thing to watch throughout the year. I think his team will step up toward the end of the season. Are they in the mix where they can make one more run, get Coach Tierney into one more NCAA tournament? At 15, a team that actually I, I may feel like by, may be too low considering what they have coming back, that's Boston U coming off a terrific season last year, and they return a ton, including the trio on offensive. Vinny D'Alto, Timmy Lay, and Louis Perfetto. Add Jake Cates, the midfielder who uh, had a knee injury in the middle part of the season. His loss was certainly felt throughout that offense for BU. I like Boston a lot. They, um, one of my favorites in the Patriot League. They proved that they could win the Patriot League, compete with those types of teams. They did it a year ago. Now can they compete? knock off a key, some key non-conference wins. They've got a game against Yale coming up once again this year that uh, I'll have circled on my calendar. Number 16, another team that had a terrific season last year, that's St. Joseph's. Zach Cole was the best face-off man in the country. He's back, and they proved they can compete in May. That game against Penn and the NCAAs, they gave the Quakers all they could handle. It's a team that is returning a ton from that squad, much like Delaware. I feel good about St. Joe's. 16 may be a little too low. They're a team to keep your eye on uh, early in the season with some of these non-conference games and then definitely late because I think they are going to be a, a team to be reckoned with now uh, in, a, in a new look Atlantic 10. Number 17, I've got Jacksonville. They've got talent back, a couple of key transfers for head coach John Galloway. Now, there's no sneaking up on anybody. I mean, John Galloway has established this Jacksonville program as a perennial top 20 team, perennial contender to win their league. Can they get to the NCAA tournament now that they're not sneaking up on anybody? The conference slate, a little bit different now with the Atlantic 10, and they're in the, um, in the A-Sun. So how does that shake out? Does that get this, Jack this Jacksonville team, the Dolphins, into the NCAAs, give them a chance at the big party? Number 18, another Ivy League team, Brown. Uh, some key losses, but they bring back an All-American candidate in their goalie, uh, Connor Terrio. Um, they're going to be a team to be reckoned with in the Ivy League, but they had a roller coaster year last year. Things went right for them at the end of the year. Can lightning strike twice? Number 19, North Carolina. The, the talent there is obvious. They've had great recruiting classes. They know how to bring talent down to chapel hill now where's the identity of this team uh, even with chris gray there they, they they didn't make that run in chris gray's final season of the ncaa's who steps up uh, that's going to be a big question mark for the tar heels this year and another acc when you look at the top it's going to be i think better than it was a year ago and then a number 20 I've got Navy. This is where things differ from my poll and the media poll. Richmond it gets the 20th spot in the IL media poll. I actually voted for Navy, a team that's um, honorable mention in the media poll. Xavier Arline just announced earlier this week he's going to be playing both lacrosse and fully competing in spring football this year for Navy. Obviously, he's a quarterback for the Navy football team. I, he obviously is a terrific athlete. I love Jackson Bonnets as a long pole. Patrick uh, Skalniak is an All-American midfielder here in the preseason. Really excited to see now another year under his belt for Joe Amplo. Remember what he did at Marquette in just a handful of years. I, I, there's something about what Joe Amplo can do with this Navy program that's built them right back up 
They had some big wins last year. They're right there in the precipice, I think, of a breakout season. They may be one of the stories to watch, not only in the Patriot League, but in college lacrosse this year. So there you have it. My inside lacrosse media poll, my top 20 uh, for the preseason. We'll continue to do this throughout the year. I'll share uh, my poll at different times. And, of course, you follow me on social media. I tweet it out uh, every week to give you my thoughts on the top 20. And then you can, of course, compare it to the IL media poll. Speaking of one of those teams in this poll, Georgetown, my number three team here in the preseason, added a key transfer in Tucker Dordovic coming from Syracuse uh, to this offense, had a chance to catch up with Tucker earlier today. So joining us from Georgetown, we've got Tucker Dordovic as we continue to get ready for this 2023 spring season. Tucker, I was filling out my inside the cross preseason All-American ballot, and I wrote Tucker Dordovic, and I was about to write Syracuse, and then I had to correct myself, Georgetown. How weird is it? Like, how long did it take you to adjust? Um, definitely took a little bit of a time, like just seeing, I can see myself in a different jersey, but I'm, I'm definitely very excited. Um, definitely took a few weeks to kind of see, you know, a different number and a different name, but, but it's a, a fun change, and I'm looking forward to, you know, getting going here in a few weeks. So on the field, on campus like what's the adjustment been like especially when you got down there in the fall yeah it's been good you know as we kind of spoke about before we jumped on there's a bunch of transfers so it's been pretty easy um the guys have been super welcoming to all of us um you know like guys like will bowen who came last year have made the transition super easy as you know we're in their shoes just you know 10 12 months later um so that's been awesome it's been a blast and it's been super easy the coaches have been great um so i can't complain about anything down here the decision to transfer to, to Georgetown, clearly, as you mentioned, there have been a number of people. The programs obviously speak to them, speak for themselves in terms of the, what you can do on campus. The lacrosse is good. What all went into your decision and, and what made Georgetown the right fit? Sure. You know, I think when looking at different schools, I wanted a place that um, kind of fit um, what I was looking for and, and where I am in my, in my you know, life. I'm a little older than your average college student being a, a sixth year. Um, so finding a place, you know, that had a city that had, you know, people who are kind of doing the same thing now, like, like I said, Bowen is in a grad program and a bunch of other transfers are coming here. So just having guys that were kind of in the same shoes as me. And then also the staff was great. Like right when I started talking to coach Warren and whatnot, it was, you know, very, very easy to get to know them. And we became super close in a really close or a short amount of time. So it's just been a fun transition overall. Hey, you mentioned the city. It's like, you know, you're just doing your like right out of college work, you just happen to still get a chance to play some college lacrosse, right? Exactly. So it's a win-win for sure. Um, in terms of lacrosse, because you've now had a chance in the fall and, and you guys are back here in the spring, what kind of adjustment, if any, has there been in terms of learning a new system and, and what Georgetown does compared to what you were used to at Syracuse? For sure. You know, it's been awesome. We got a new offensive coordinator, Coach Hogan, earlier this uh this summer. And so he's been implementing a lot of his stuff. And, you know, there's people in his office 24 seven, just going over stuff and learning. So then it's been awesome building a relationship in that standpoint. He's been great to all of us, um, which has been awesome. Uh, it's actually in his office now and walked in here and TJ Haley is in here watching film and doing stuff. So kids are always bouncing in and out and it's been fun learning his system. Um, and I think everybody's just excited to implement everything and kind of get going as we, as we scrimmage Maryland this weekend. Hey, with a new offensive coordinator there, I have to imagine that maybe makes life a little easier for you considering like kind of everybody's on the same page in terms of learning something new. Am I, am I right there? Yeah, for sure. You know, everybody's kind of learning from scratch and, and figuring things out as we go, um, which makes it fun. And I think everybody's learning a lot of new stuff um, as a whole, which has been awesome. Um, but yeah, it seems like, you know, when one person learns something, we're all learning it since, you know, we're all new to this, but uh, 
it's been a blast and it's been it's been super easy the locker room because it's a group that the guys that are back came off a disappointing end last year you obviously mm -hmm. didn't have the entire season win loss wise last year that you wanted like what's the feeling in there that you got as an outsider perspective and now having been a part of it what's the feeling as a group for sure you know i think people are definitely very motivated um, and excited going forward. I think, you know, it definitely left a sour taste in their mouth from what it seems. I can't speak for, for that group because I wasn't on that team last year, but just from, you know, what I've heard and what I see, it definitely seems like, you know, people are just excited and, and ready and anxious to kind of get going again. Um, they know what we're capable of as a group this year. And, and, you know, just having, you know, what happened at the end of last year as motivation, I think helps fuel the, the file fire and the kiln and just kind of get everything and everybody roaring and ready to go as we kind of get ready to go here in a few weeks. And so I think just, you know, doesn't really seep out of anybody's mind when we had it to practice, people are kind of bringing it up and talking about it. And I think it's a really good fuel for, for everything going forward. And then us transfer guys, you know, we've spoken and we spoke with the coach, like none of us, I don't think made the tournament last year. So we all have kind of that fuel ourselves and kind of ready to prove a lot of people wrong. And there's a lot of noise here and there about different things. And I think we're all just, you know, excited and humble as a group to just kind of take it game by game and, and see what we can do. You uh, you mentioned Will Bowen uh, as another transfer guy. He also happens to be one of the best defensemen in the country. What's it like to take runs up against him at practice now every day? It's it's awesome. You know, first it was definitely pretty brutal. I think he got the best of me majority of the time. Um, but he's I've, I've felt like I've uh, you know became a much better player going against him every day and, and picking his brain and learning from him. And you know he did a bunch of the USA stuff this year, so he's he learned and grew a lot as well. And so being able to battle with him every single day has been a blast. And and he definitely helps me, I think, you know, become a better player. And I think I have became a better player from going against him every day and just kind of bashing heads and then going at it, which has been a blast. Uh, I was getting prepared for this interview, and I looked back at your post when you entered the transfer portal at Syracuse. And one thing that stood out to me is you thanked Ryan Powell for giving you <laughs> an opportunity. And I don't know if I ever heard the story. How did Ryan help you get to Syracuse and ultimately kind of get you into this high-level Division One lacrosse? Yeah, so it's a funny story. I was probably seven or eight year old um and i don't know if you remember they're now extinct like portland lumberjacks and yeah. team um but my family like knew someone who was affiliated with it and for my birthday like me and a couple friends were like ball boys for the team so we just like stood at the midline and we're like making sure balls didn't go over um to each side of the field and guys wouldn't roll their ankles and i remember ryan walked over and, and spoke to us at length for a while which was really cool and obviously we were kind of shell-shocked and he just mentioned to us he ran this program called Rhino Lacrosse. So a summer or two went by and we decided to go to some camps. And then we eventually tried out for the team and made it. And we grew this bond over, you know, probably from my fourth or fifth grade up until I left for college. And I remember I was committed to University of Delaware and I always wanted to go to like growing up. I just like was a Syracuse fan and I wasn't really highly recruited. Um, and I remember I asked Ryan, I was like, hey, like, is there any chance I could, you know, look at Syracuse? And we grew a really close bond. And I think at first he kind of brushed it off and I, I didn't play in front of him in a long time because he moved back up to New York at this time. And he called me after a tournament in like Nevada or something. He came and coached our team. He called me. He's like, if you want to go there, you can. Um, <laughs> and then, or like, not like that, but he was like, I'll like reach out. Um, and he reached out and I kind of got lucky. And without him, I don't know if I'd be at this, this level of play. Um, and so that was a big kind of thanks to him because I don't know if I would have ever even made it to Syracuse and met the people I met if it wasn't for RP.
Yeah, that is awesome. And you, like, yeah. you know, it, it's like one of those things that you never know early on, like what kind of impact somebody has. And I think we see all these teams out West in new areas introducing the game to new kids and you just never know what those relationships do. And it's a, that's such a cool full circle moment. Yeah, it's cool. And we still keep in touch all the time. So it's it's funny. He would do our games last year and we'd run into him after the game with my parents at dinner or something. So it's always a blast being RP. Uh, you mentioned being from Oregon and like, I mean, it, I think it kind of started with Peter Baum and, and what he did, and now you've got yourself and obviously Sam Hanley. and I mean, there's there's a number of guys now, but like, I feel like there's so many of you, not all that, that turn into really good players, but great players. Like, what is it about the pipeline coming out of Oregon now, about these the guys that it, <laughs> you guys have all really established yourselves? Sure, I think it stems from, obviously, like you said, Peter Baum, and then, you know, I think Ryan Powell did a great job of establish, establishing um, you know, just lacrosse in Oregon at a, at a younger level than it was before. And I think that helped us all. And then I think we all kind of grew up together and like trained together and all we heard growing up, cause there wasn't really any Oregon lacrosse players at the time besides Peter bomb. It was that like, you, it's just like, we're not hot bad and this, that, and the other. And it kind of like rubbed us the wrong way in a sense. And we would talk about it. Like when we would go shoot and Sam's my neighbor, he's one of my best friends. Um, we trained together all the time. Um, and so especially us too, we talk about it all the time. I think that just kind of rubbed us the wrong way and, and we use it as a little bit of like, I don't really think there's a difference. There might be less players playing in Oregon, but I don't think there's much of a difference from there and other parts of the country, at least now, hopefully. And, and we're just trying to mend that as much as we can. You just end up to having to travel a little bit further to some of these tournaments on the East Coast every week. Exactly. Uh, I, I noticed on your Instagram, you play a lot of golf. Where's your golf game at? It's all right. I'm like an a 8-9 handicap. That's good. Um, which is not bad. One of my roommates is like a two, our goalie, Danny Hanks, who's transferred to Dartmouth. He's very, very good. We went and played earlier this year um, at a place Jacob Kelly plays at. And Danny didn't have his clubs and played in vans and shot like one or two over. Jeez. So he definitely wins the cake there, but it's it's the best. You guys got some good guys. I mean, we were talking to Graham Bundy last year, and, and mm -hmm. that dude can play. So you got yeah. you guys have a competitive golf team on top of a lacrosse I, squad. I guess so. It's 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 fun to go play and when we get the chance, especially in the fall. So we'll see if we can get out a little bit this spring on some Sundays and, and hit it around a little bit. All right. Um, you know, I grew up in the time of Big East basketball, and Syracuse Georgetown is like unlike mm -hmm. any other. Syracuse and Georgetown basketball, maybe not the same now that they're in different leagues, but they play almost every year now. I got to ask, where were your allegiances this year? I kind of kept it neutral. I actually didn't even watch. I didn't even want it. But my friends um, from both sides are kind of giving me grief. Um, my Syracuse group chat with all my roommates from last year, was they were sending me stuff all the time. So um, it's kind of funny. I didn't quite know. I was actually speaking to an academic advisor from Syracuse yesterday who I'm super close with, and she's coming to some Georgetown games. And she went to Syracuse and went to grad school at Syracuse and now is obviously works at Syracuse. And we became super close. And she's like, you know, I'm coming to a game and I have my Georgetown hoodie already. And she was like, she's like, it kills me having to put that thing on just because the rivalry. But it's it's fun and it's it's kind of cool to be able to roof about teams. Yeah, no, and Big East basketball still I appreciate. It's the best. I wish Syracuse was still in there. So, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's that's a tough one for you. Um, when you first walk on uh, the field here this year, the regular season, what's it going to feel like knowing you got one more go at this? I think it's going to feel special and a little bit bittersweet. Um, I was actually talking to my mom the other day. Uh, I was walking back from class, <clears throat> and I think, you know, this last six months that I've been here has flown by. 
Um, and it's pretty bittersweet just to think from a perspective of like, you know, I'm here for four more months and, and that's kind of it for my, my tenure at Georgetown. Um, so just trying to soak it all in, you know, soak up every game, soak up every moment, soak up every, you know, encounter with my friends in the locker room or whether it's, you know, coming to see the coaches in the coach's office and just enjoying that, enjoying the time I have here um, before, you know, real work starts um, here in a couple months. Um, but just enjoying playing lacrosse, you know, for this last time in college and, and having fun with my, my best buddies and, and, you know, trying to win this whole thing. Well, uh, Tucker, can't wait to see you back out there on the field. It's going to be different seeing you in a Georgetown uniform, but best of luck this year. Can't wait to see it. And uh, we'll uh, talk here sometime soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Joining us from North Carolina, we've got Caitlin Wurzberger uh, now. Uh, Caitlin, you guys are coming off an, an all-time great year, and I wonder after having the heartbreak of a couple of years ago, last offseason had to be tough because you're, you're like, all you want to do is get back to the championship. What's this offseason like now after having like the all-time great year? You, you like couldn't have scripted it any better. I think it's that same motivation. Um, Jenny has been harping that this is a new team, new offense. Um, we have a lot of stars back on the defensive end, but obviously offensive and midi-wise is different. Um, but I think just having that same mentality, the underdog, I know we're ranked number one coming in, but I think this team doesn't have that motivation of we're number one. I think we kind of have that motivation that we're number two. What's what do you take away and what is what's the learning experiences from the two years? The one where like you accomplish everything but the championship and then the one where you finish the job. Obviously, different outcomes. <laughs> um, I was really lucky to have great All-Americans all around me. I mean, all of our starters were all Americans, basically. So I was really lucky to see how they did everything on and off the field. And I think being able to see like a winning team and a team that didn't make it to the end is great because I know what it takes to win now. So you mentioned it like you've got all world talent all around you at North Carolina. Like, you know, you can be as the number one player in the country and you're just kind of part of the mix because the, everybody's that good. Now that you have seen some of the veteran players now move on and graduate, especially Jamie Ortega from this past year, what's this like now where it seems like maybe this is a little bit more your offense than it was some other players in the last couple of years? I think it's really exciting. I mean, we're kind of the unknown team, I feel, going into the, like, the season, which is really exciting for us because we don't know everything either. And um, I think it's going to form and shape itself, and hopefully it gets great by May. <laughs> And that's when it counts. But um, I'm really excited. We have a lot of great talent where I would say we're a young team just in playing wise. Not even just who's on the field, but Ma's experienced players, but also like new freshmen coming in. And it's really going well. I mean, I think everyone's gelling well together and this the chemistry is coming. What did you learn from playing alongside Jamie Ortega? Poise and patience and obviously really great talented person. But I think off the field and on the field, just being able to have poison hard situations, um, and hard work. I mean, Jamie wasn't great overnight. She put in lots of hours outside of lacrosse and practice. And I think just having that poise and being that great leader on and off the field, it might, that might not be through your words, but through your actions. I, I think it, it's so interesting to have watched your college career so far, because I remember talking about you signing national letters of intent when you're like an eighth grader in, in middle school and freshman in, in high school. And obviously that recognition carried you all the way through high school and everything you accomplished. You then get to college and you're on such a talented team that I, I think some people are like, oh, you're not as talked about as much. How have you handled what that kind of evolution has been like, being the number one, not only in your high school team, but 
in the in the country in terms of recruit, and then you are just part of the mix there at North Carolina when you first get there. How, how have you balanced that? I mean, you come to Carolina not to only play the best, but be part of the best. And I think that's what every player should be proud. You want to be on the best team that can possibly be. And if you're not, then you're not a motivated player, in my opinion. And I think I'm honored to play against these players because at the end of the day, we make each other better. And you're never going to be pushed if someone else is better at something else than you aren't. Like, you need someone to be better and pushing you every day. And I think that's what Jenny, Phil, Coach Marie have done a great job at, is recruiting the best, but also finding a way to make each other better and not just being individual, but finding that team and that culture. Yeah, you can't just sit back on what you did before. you got to keep competing every day, right? Exactly. Oh, you had the opportunity to play for Team USA at the, the World Games uh, this summer. What did that experience, and especially playing sixes, teach you? Um, obviously, way different game than um, just the 12v12. Um, but just being fast, I mean, to be great in that game, you have to, have to be great stick skills. And I think it really shows the highlights, the parts of lacrosse that aren't always highlighted in the 12v12, just having fast stick skills, being fast, looking at the play ahead, I had to play defense, which I'm not the best defender. So um, it kind of puts you out of your comfort zone, but I really enjoyed the speed of the game. And I think it has a great future in our sport. Yeah, I mean, we just, I don't know how much you had really dove into it before the, the run-up to the World Games, but like what, what's just your initial impression of having a chance to play that version of it, especially like at that level with those types of stakes? I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I think it's going to bring the exposure of lacrosse that much more worldwide as lots of players can play it. It's, it's easier to understand, I would say, with rules and stuff, just going back and forth, not as many lines. But I love it personally. I mean, playing that high-level lacrosse and if that's quick is so exciting and so much fun. So back to this Carolina team, uh, I think I was reading like 69, 70% of your offense for production is, has moved on. Now, it's not to say there's not a lot of talent still there in Chapel Hill, but it's going to look different from somebody who was part of this offense in the fall and now as you get ready for the spring. Give us an inside look. Like, what are fans going to see? What, what's this offense going to look like compared to the last couple of years? I feel that's unknown still. <laughs> um, in terms You of guys like don't even know it? We know it, but I think okay. um, I want to save that for game day, I would sure. say. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of talent. I think you're going to see every single person in that field being a threat, which I don't think every team can say that. And I'm really excited because I see the chemistry forming every day. It's getting better and better. And, you know, I hope we're not our best on the first game. I hope we work every game to get better and better. And at the end of the day, hopefully in May, we're that last team standing. That's uh, what the best teams do. Um now, the, the offensive production may look different. Your jersey is going to look different. You got a new number here, number 15. I, I know it's a special one to you. What's it going to mean to wear number 15 this year, and, and why is it special? Um, I mean, special in terms, my dad wore that number in high school, wore it in college, and I wore it in high school as well throughout club and middle school and all those good years. But um, he's given me, honestly, everything. He's taught me the game. My family, my uncle went going to Cornell. They've taught me how to play it the traditional way, and how to respect the game as well. And I really give everything to him for lacrosse and getting me to this great university. And I'm hopeful I can make him proud and bring back another championship. That's really cool. It's a, I always love hearing what goes into people's numbers. And, and that's, a, that's a really good reason to rock the number 15. Uh, I'll leave you with this. I know you guys are trying to put last year in the past, look at it this year, but those rings are freaking gigantic. <laughs> How cool was it, the unveiling of the national championship rings? 
indescribable honestly I didn't think any of us really anticipated they're gonna be that big and big glamorous but um I mean if you're gonna get a ring might as well make it big and shiny like a Super Bowl ring basically but um I think it's a little big and shiny to wear out often every day <laughs> but um I mean it was awesome I, it was great to have everyone back for that little banquet weekend we had and the surprise in them and just I think even our freshmen and people who weren't here before saw like this is what you get then today and like this represents all the hard work we put in throughout the whole year Poor family members, significant others, anybody who has to buy you jewelry in the future is screwed <laughs> because, like, you you can't top that. I would agree. I would agree. <laughs> Caitlin, we appreciate the time so much. Can't wait to see you back on the field uh, this spring for North Carolina. Good luck as you get ready, and uh, we'll be watching. Awesome. Thank you. Big thanks to Caitlin and Tucker for taking some time as they get ready for this 2023 spring season. Two players uh, that very well could be in the tour time conversation at the end of the year. So really appreciate the time. All right, let's finish up this show with some NLL talk. We can't go this week without talking about the National Lacrosse League because this weekend was awesome. Let's start um, on Friday night because this was the game we were talking to you about last week. The game to watch Rochester and Buffalo in the East. And what we figured out for Friday night, Rochester, folks, is for real. They went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Buffalo, won 15-12 at home on Friday night. They're now undefeated 6-0. They're the only unbeaten team in the NLL. And I'm telling you, nobody had Rochester at 6-0 at the beginning of the year. Nobody. If, you, if somebody tells you that, they are lying. Nobody had this happening. They do it despite the fact that Dane Smith and Josh Byrne go off for 14 combined points. Like, they got theirs, and Rochester still proved when those guys are, are, even if they're not at their best, when they are good, we can still win. Like, this was not a fluke game. They won beating Buffalo playing well. That's what makes this so impressive. A dominant fourth quarter. I mean, they were trailing by three. Rochester's trailing by three at halftime. Tied entering the fourth. They score uh, the first three or four goals, the first four goals in the, the fourth quarter. And these are the three names you need to know for Rochester offensively. Ryan Smith, Connor Fields, Holden Katoni. Smith had nine points, Fields with eight, Katoni with seven. The three of them combined to score the first four goals of the fourth quarter, which ended up winning this game. So those three guys step up. They both, all three of them have huge games. Rochester gets the win. Now, the tough stretch for Rochester continues. They got Halifax this weekend. They play Buffalo again on the road at their place in two weeks. Then they got another game against Halifax. So they're 1-0 they're in this tough four-game stretch that we talked about last week. Now what do they do here in the back end? But a terrific start. This was, a, I think, one of the best wins of the year for any team in the entire league on Friday night with Rochester beating Buffalo. So big takeaway there. Um, let's go to Las Vegas because viva Las Vegas, everybody. The, uh, the Desert Dogs are on the board. They get their first win in organization history on Friday night. And they didn't do it how probably most people thought they would. I mean, this was a all-time comeback. They trailed 7-2 after the first quarter Las Vegas did. They trailed 12-4 at the half. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if Joe Sides watching the game and if he turned it off because 12-4 at the half, I, was, I wasn't watching the game. I was scrolling through my phone, and I, I saw some updates. I saw 12-4. I said, all right, well, I guess it's not going to be this week. Boy, was I wrong. I hope you stayed up late on the West Coast because they outscored the Warriors 11-2 in the second half to come back 
and get the win. An unbelievable way to get win number one. And I think the cool thing about this is that it was some of the young, inexperienced guys that stepped up big for Las Vegas, which bodes well for the future of this organization. Charlie Bertrand and Jack Hanna, both with seven points. Inexperienced guys in terms of not only the league, but box lacrosse in general. So when those guys have those kinds of games, they help you get a win. That just makes the, the locker room, makes them feel good, gives them some confidence. I think for more than just getting the number win number one out of the way, I think a lot of things happen that gives this team a lot of confidence moving forward. So good for them getting win number one out of the way. Now they have to go to the Sastel Center and play Saskatchewan this weekend. That is never an easy place to play. That is not an easy game, but good for Vegas. They get win number one, one of hopefully many to come. Warriors, by the way, got to regroup after that second half. I don't know what's going on. They got uh, Panther City this weekend. And finally, Philadelphia. Big PR win, but they did not look good on the floor. I mean, you, a whole nother meaning to getting rocked by Toronto. Like, the, everything set up well for Philadelphia. The, the game was supposed to be Saturday night. They moved it to 1 o'clock because the Eagles are hosting the uh, NFC divisional round game on Saturday night against the Giants. Same stadium complex, so they move it up. Then you've got them talking on ESPN before the game about – the Eagles fans that are buying Wings tickets so they can get into the, the parking lots earlier to tailgate. So PR win. People are going to watch the cross just so they can tailgate for longer and then go to the Eagles game. Big day in Philadelphia. Things did not go as well on the floor for the Wings as it did on the field for the Eagles later in the day. And the Rock absolutely destroyed them. 14-5 to was the final. This game wasn't that close. Philly scored one goal in the first half. Toronto led this game. 13 to 1. I mean, this is brutal. Ebert was terrific to, for Toronto. Five goals, a couple of assists, points. Philly's got to play Buffalo next. They better bring it better than they did at home uh, on Saturday. Toronto's got Calgary on Saturday night, which is actually, I think, a very interesting East West matchup. But um, big PR win for Philadelphia on-floor performance did not match. So that's uh, those are my three takeaways from the NLL this weekend. Another loaded week uh, of games coming up, uh, including Buffalo playing a, a doubleheader this weekend. So we'll uh, keep an eye on that in the NLL. But that is all the time we have for you this week here on Lacrosse Now. Remember, we'll be right back here on Tuesday for more Lacrosse Now action. But for now, I'm your host, Travis Eldridge. We'll see you.